0: church good well i am excited to bring this message today but before we do it can we just pray let's invite god into this moment he's already here but let's say hello again God, we just thank you so much that every single Sunday you open up your house to us where we can come in and we can worship you together as a family. And in this moment, as we sit and we lean into this teaching, God, I pray that we can learn and grow together as a family. So God, would you speak? Because our eyes are open, our hearts are open, our ears are open to hear what it is that you have to say to each and every single one of us today. If you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. Well, I once heard this story about a remote village in Africa, it's a true story, where these women used to regularly meet at the water's edge to wash their clothing by hand. And it was a place where they'd come together not just to wash clothes, but they'd come and they'd chat about life. And they would share stories, they'd give each other advice, they would laugh together, they would cry together, all while washing their clothes. They were poor, but they found this great joy being in each other's presence. But eventually, their African village grew and gained more resources and modern technology. And soon enough, every single home in this village had a washing machine. And something interesting happened. The depression rates among the women increased dramatically. Now, sure, they had more stuff and washing clothes was easier. It was way more convenient and a lot quicker. Sure, they now had houses with doors that they could lock instead of huts. Sure, they now had more resources than ever before. But in the words of Pastor Mugisha, the more resources a person gets, the more walls he or she puts up, and the more lonely they become. You know, we live in a world that has become increasingly independent. And this independence breeds isolation, where we think that we can do all we need to do from the comfort of our own home by ourselves. And over time, we've lost the structure of the village. Jenny Allen, she's an author of Find Your People. She said somewhere in the transition from hunting and gathering and cooking together to having our groceries just delivered to our doorstep or the back of our car, we stop needing each other. We don't need each other to survive anymore. We don't even need to borrow an egg, or do we? So my message for y'all this morning is called, It Takes a Village. Can you say, it takes a village? Now, do you still think that we need a village? With our modern technology, with all the resources that we now have, with everything that we can do from the comfort of our own homes, do we still need a village? And by that, I mean a community of people that are committed to each other. A community of people that live within proximity, people who show up with availability, people who are actually open to accountability. You know, as we were leading into this year with a new year, 2023, Frosty and I, we felt strongly this was a year where we as a church, and we've said this before, I'll say it again, but it's a year where we need to regroup and refocus. We believe it's a year where we need to reestablish some of our foundations as Christians and as a church community. And so I want us to go back to the book of Acts chapter 2 where we read about the early church. Verses 42 through 47. It will be on the screen behind me or in the notes app. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved." Now the early church was in every way a village of people that were committed to each other and committed to God. See, they knew that in order to grow in their faith, they actually needed to be surrounded by some other believers that could help them grow. They knew that if they wanted to become spiritually mature as disciples of Jesus, they were going to need to be in the presence of other believers that could actually help them grow. They knew it was going to take a village to change the world with the gospel, but first the change needed to take place within that village, within the hearts of every single believer. You know, I'm sure you've been a part of a number of different communities throughout your life. You know, communities—whether it's related to sports groups, or school groups, or neighborhoods, or church, whatever it may be—communities in some way have impacted your life for better or worse, right? When I was thinking about this message, I was reminded of a community I was a part of from the age of nine to 17 years old. It was called the 4-H Club. Have any of y'all ever heard of it? Oh, a few. See, there we go, America. Um, but if you haven't heard of it, it's because it's this American youth club. <laughs> and it's one of the largest youth organizations in that country. And I actually looked up the current membership rate for this club. Y'all had six and a half million people in this youth club. That's more than this whole country. Crazy. But it's very much a club for country kids, like farming kids. We all had this club to get together um, because a big part of it was showing livestock. But for me, I showed goats and pigs. Yes, I am very country, y'all. But 4-H was way more than that, way more than just the animals. It was a club filled with country kids, but that were being actively raised to be better members of their communities. And there was this large focus on this club to be out and doing community service. There was a large focus on leadership development, on public speaking. Some people ask me, Darcy, why are you so comfortable preaching? I'm not. 4-H, you know, they they started me when I was young. Interview prep, record-keeping to track your growth through the years, friendly competition at the county fairs where we learned how to win and lose well, something the current generation of participation awards is not learning. But I digress. And showing animals which taught kids real responsibility of how to care for another living being. Look, I loved 4-H, and honestly, if there's anything in New Zealand like that, let me know because I want that for my kids. It shaped a lot of who I am today. And y'all, we even had a pledge. I'm about to get super American on y'all right now, okay? We had a pledge to start off every meeting at the 4-H club. And Because you might be wondering, why is it called 4-H? Well, first of all, it is pronounced H, not H, Okay. If you say H, bless your heart. But 4-H is head, heart, hands, and health. And at the beginnings of our meetings, we'd say this pledge. I pledge my head to clearer thinking, my heart to greater loyalty, my hands to larger service, and my health to better living. For my club, my community, my country, and my world. (laughs) Thank you. Now, I know that sounds so cheesy American. That's what you'd see in the movies. I'm straight out of the movies, y'all. That sounds so cheesy, but it was actually this shared mission communally. It meant that we all had this shared mission. We all knew what we were there for, and we were all committed to growth personally. See, I think a lot of communities these days don't thrive because they don't have a shared mission communally, and they don't commit to personal growth individually. But what if we as Christians could pledge something similar? What if we as a church community became actively committed members that were committed to our own personal growth, knowing that as we grow individually, it's going to have a ripple effect for the people that are around us. As a believer, have you devoted your head to clearer thinking? Thinking that is more aligned with God's word than with the ways of culture. As a believer, have you devoted your heart to greater loyalty to Jesus and his ways over your own? Have you devoted your hands to larger service to build his church while here on earth? Have you devoted your health to better living as a believer? I want us to unpack these four H's this morning to be reminded of our foundation as believers. I want us to take a look at the journey of every disciple. And I want you by the end of this message to be able to understand where you're at on your journey. Because you know you probably heard a Christian say this at some point before. Everyone's on a journey. Oh, they're on a journey, right? Have you heard that before? <laughs> well, you might be thinking, I've heard that, but what does that mean? What is that journey, and where am I at? On, where am I at on my? I can't even think of what the sentence is. Where am I on my? Yeah, whatever. We're moving on. Where are you on your journey? I want us to talk about it and ground ourselves on the words of Jesus, and these are the words that he spoke out to his future disciples. In Matthew chapter four, verse 19, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There are three parts to this scripture that are important for every single one of us to understand in our journeys as believers, as disciples of Jesus, and the first is follow me. Now, when Jesus said, follow me, he knew that there first needed to be a head level change within an individual. And what I mean is there needed to be a change in someone's beliefs to first and foremost believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the son of God who was sent to save a lost and broken world. We first have to reconcile that in our heads before we could ever fully grasp it in our hearts. Follow me is what brings this head level change to a believer because every person in this life starts out as spiritually dead, every single one of us. Now, if you, when you tell people your story and you start out your testimony by saying, I've been a Christian since I was born, lies. No, you haven't, I'm sorry, I don't wanna burst your bubble today, but you haven't been a Christian since you were born. You might've been raised as a Christian in a Christian home with Christian parents, with Christian values, but we are all born spiritually dead because we all have the option to choose God. We get, every single one of us, at some point in our lives, we have to come to an understanding of who God is and of what this invitation to us means, and we have to make the head-level decision to say, I will choose to follow him. As a baby, I'm sorry, you can't decide that no matter how smart of a baby you were, okay? But that moment of acknowledging Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, not just your parents, that's the moment that you become a Christian, That's the moment in your life where you make a head level understanding, a head level decision of who God is and take that invitation to follow him. And this head level change, it takes us from being spiritually dead to becoming born again as infants in the faith, not literally, but definitely spiritually. The moment we make that head level change, we begin the process of denying ourselves and choosing God over our own ways. We begin this journey of leaving behind our selfish desires, but we call it a journey because this takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. We have to give ourselves grace because just like infants, actual infants, are a bit ignorant. They're confused about their surroundings. They're not really sure what's good for them or what's dangerous for them, and they're very dependent on their parents to protect and guide them. Infants in the faith display the exact same characteristics. When you first become a Christian, There's gonna be a period in your journey where you're ignorant about scripture. You're ignorant about your purpose, about church, about Christianity as a whole, and guess what, that's totally normal and expected. That is totally okay, you're an infant in the faith. And there's gonna be a level of dependence on others around you to help you grow, to share with you what their lives look like as believers, to share with you the truth that's found in the Bible, to share with you good habits to develop as you grow and mature. And if you take on their guidance, you will move forward in your journey to become a child in your faith. Which brings us to the next part of the scripture where Jesus said, I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. That means we can assume there's gonna be a process of transformation here. In order to be remade into disciples of Jesus, there's probably gonna be a bit of being unmade a bit, where we have to unlearn the ways of culture that have held such prominence in our lives before becoming believers, and this brings a heart level change. A child in the faith has come to the understanding that God isn't this impersonal power figure in the sky, But a child in the faith understands that God is genuine, that he is personal, that he is living, and that he does know what's best for them. A child in the faith has learned how to trust. And this is when your relationship with God really starts to unfold as you allow him to change and transform you from the inside out. In this relationship with God, it's gonna lead you to a place where you are becoming Christ-like. Now, we will never be fully like Jesus because none of us are perfect, but we can try to become Christ-like in everything that we do. That's the aim of every believer in our lives is to become more and more like Jesus, and that's very different from simply being a good person. But change, it takes time. And when I look at the stages of a believer's journey, I've actually seen way too many people set up camp in this stage. A lot of people set up camp in this stage, grown men and grown women who have been believers for many, many years, set up camp in this stage that is characterized by self-centeredness. Because children, like actual children, they're self-absorbed, right? Children see their own needs and their own desires and their own preferences over the needs of others. Children are becoming interdependent where they also start to test the boundaries with authority, believing they know better sometimes, right? A lot of grown people can still set up camp in this stage of being a child in the faith where they act very selfish. In fact, children's self-centered attitude leads them to saying things like this. Well, I'm not coming to church anymore. It's too big. I'm not being fed in my church. So I'm going to go to somewhere else where they're going to feed me better. Well, I didn't like the music today. I don't like all these new songs. Why can't we sing my old favorite songs? I love my small group just the way it is. Don't y'all add any more people to it. Okay, look, I love y'all, we've all said it at some point before, okay? Maybe you've heard it said before, maybe you've said it before, but that's an attitude of a child in the faith. It's an attitude that is more focused on your own needs than the needs of others. Sorry if this is confronting right now, but we said to Jesus this morning as we started out that we wanna grow, right? We wanna be honest with where we're at. You know what the children in the faith need? They actually need greater connection with God greater connection with people, like through a small group, so they don't feel like just a number in the crowd, but they have people that know them and can journey with them, and they need greater connection with their purpose. Children need to be taught, and teaching takes time, right? You know, as much as I would love our lives to be like this instant cake mix that you buy in a box at the store, you know the type of mix where you just dump it in the bowl, add some water, mix it up, pop it in the oven, boom, you get a cake? Unfortunately, there is no just add Jesus mix to get a healthy disciple. Look, you can turn up to church and a small group, but you could look like a disciple. You could learn some scripture and become comfortable praying out loud. You could sound like a disciple. You could care for people and give generously in the offering and act like a disciple. But God wants to know if you're the real deal. God wants to know if you truly trust him, genuinely trust him with every aspect of your life because he's not interested in some fake followers. You know when you're baking a cake, there's two ways of doing it. You can go for the quick fix, that pre-packaged box, like I mentioned, and produce a cake-like product that looks like a cake, right? It smells like a cake, but when you taste it, you know it's not the same as the cake made from scratch. Where the chef was very intentional with putting in the right amount of ingredients, stirring it the right number of times, that cake tastes very different. Where somebody has considered every item and the role it plays in producing the desired outcome. And just like baking, discipleship is very intentional and strategic. That's why we need to ensure that we're adding things into our lives, that we're mixing it all together to produce a healthy disciple, like being grounded in God's word, being present in God's house, being spending genuine time in his presence, being accountable to a mentor, a Christian mentor that can help you grow. These are all different things that we can add together in our lives that will help us grow. We can't just be interested in looking the part or sounding the part or ticking a box on a Sunday, but rather we need genuine foundation that sets us up for genuine growth. And this heart level change, it takes place within children of the faith. And when that happens, it should expand our hearts to move from being self-centered to being others-centered. That brings me to the third H. H. And the third part of Jesus' words where he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You see, our unbelief, it first becomes belief. Then that belief becomes a relationship. And then that relationship with God should spur us on to actually share in the mission of Jesus, which is to become fishers of men. People who are no longer inward focused, but rather Outward focus. People who don't just focus on their own needs and their own preferences, but actually see the needs of other people around them. People who have embraced an eternity mindset and are actively trying to get as many people into eternity with them as possible. And this brings a hands level change because it's an active endeavor to live this out. This is when a child in the faith, they become a young adult spiritually not physically, but spiritually. You might even have teenagers in this church that are acting like young adults spiritually. This is a stage in the journey of a believer where someone becomes action and service oriented. They're zealous, meaning passionate for God and his church. They're mission-minded and they're more independent. And by that, I mean they know how to feed themselves spiritually. And then they're actively looking for ways to feed others. But guess what, young adults still haven't made it to full spiritual maturity. Because even at this stage, there can be a lack of understanding, and that's okay. They're still trying to figure things out. And there can be this naivety around others' level of maturity as well. Because their zeal for God, their passion for God and for his house can sometimes make them appear more mature than they are. But young adults, still on a journey. And you see, their head is committed, their heart is devoted, their hands are actively serving, but they still need more guidance and training needed for them to become true fishers of men young adults in the faith they actually need to be trained by others that are more spiritually mature than them equipped with the tools and the resources they need and then released for into opportunities where they can grow where they can impact and serve others and make a difference in the lives of others and eventually all of this it adds up to show us the health of a disciple all of this adds up to show us the health of a believer keys can come join me now Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, when we believe and we surrender our hearts and our lives to Jesus, our heads come into alignment with clearer thinking. When we develop a relationship with God, our hearts come into alignment with greater loyalty. When we put action to our faith, our hands come into alignment with larger service. And all of this leads to our health as a believer coming into alignment with better living and greater spiritual maturity that doesn't just benefit us but it benefits everybody around us and only then do we move to that final stage in the journey of a disciple which is to become a parent in the faith and parents in the faith They're not just the old people in church that have been believers for decades, okay? Remember, some grown people have camped out as children. Parents in the faith are the believers who are intentional with their own growth and then strategic with the growth of others around them. Parents in the faith, they know how to feed themselves. They know what the flight attendants mean when they say put on your oxygen mask first before you put on the mask of the children around you. Parents in the faith, they get that. Parents in the faith, they're mission-minded, they're team-minded, they're unity-minded. Parents in the faith are dependable believers who are actively fishing for men. See, the parents in this village, not just actual parents, but spiritual parents, they know that infants need grace and time invested into them. They know that the new believers, they need a lot of grace and they need a lot of time to learn and grow. Parents, they understand that children need teaching but also loving correction, just like actual children do. Parents, they know that the young adults, they need coaching and opportunities to grow. Parents in the faith, they know it takes a village to raise a child. And our desire as pastors would be to see more active parents in the faith, spiritually mature Christians, investing into those in this church that aren't as far along in the journey as they are. And this is why community is so important. Sure, you know, you can be a Christian and not be a part of an active church community, but you'd be missing out on the village. And if we're being honest, you'd be camping out as an infant or a child that's focused more on your selfish desires than actually being a part of a community. And guess what? Communities are messy, every single one is. But the beauty is God designed us for community. And there's so much more in our journeys, so much more room for us to grow if we actually show up and be a part of the village. Because the village can give us three things, care, correction, and counsel. And we need all three of those to grow in our personal relationships with God. Just add Jesus and you're gonna get a born again infant. That's where it starts. But if you add in some care from the village, that infant will be raised into a child. If you add in some correction from the village, that child will mature into a young adult. If you add in some counsel, wise advice from the village, that young adult will move into that stage of becoming a parent themselves. You know, I referenced an author earlier, her name's Jenny Allen, and a friend of hers is a neurorelational expert who said, every newborn comes into this world looking for someone looking for her. And that never quits being true. You and I are both a little needy, In fact, God built us this way. It takes a village. We're all a little needy, but God built us this way. What's your current role within this village? Like if you were to be brutally honest with where you're at, not where you wanna be right now, but where are you at currently? What is your role within this village? What role are you playing? And be honest with yourself. If you've set up camp somewhere, even unintentionally, because maybe that's just what you've seen other people around you do. But what if this year we could actually all pledge to become better members of our community? I'm not gonna make us say a cheesy pledge, but what if we could be actively committed to a, a shared mission? What if this year we chose to submit ourselves to a group of people around us that could give us that help, that teaching, and that correction that we need in order to grow? What if we could submit ourselves and choose not to get offended? What if this year we took a step of faith forward in our own spiritual journeys and became more spiritually mature believers? Wouldn't that be incredible? You know, we all have a next step, even the pastors. We all have next steps. If you're not a Christian in this room, first of all, I'm so glad you're here. That's awesome. Your next step could simply be to develop a friendship with a mature Christian. Just develop a friendship with somebody that could actually answer some of your questions. Or maybe sign up for the Alpha Course when small groups relaunch next week. That's where you can get some questions answered. If you're an infant in your faith journey, maybe your next step is to find a mature Christian mentor who could invest some time into you and teach you how to read the Bible one-on-one who could help you understand the Bible and how to engage with church in a more meaningful way if you're a child in your faith. Maybe your next step is submitting to a small group of believers and knowing that maybe God has positioned those people around you for this season so you could grow. So maybe this year you could choose to not get offended if they challenge your thinking or your behavior in some way, because maybe God is trying to speak through them and God has more in this journey for you, but he needs you to spiritually mature in certain areas of your life. Don't set up camp with a self-centered heart. If you're a young adult in the faith, maybe your next step is going through growth track if you haven't already, so that you can be equipped and released to serve with your spiritual gifts and serve other people on our dream team or in some area of the church god gave all of us spiritual gifts and guess what they're not for us to keep to ourselves he gave us spiritual gifts to actually love other people to serve other people to be action and service-minded the only spiritual gift that edifies builds up yourself is the gift of tongues every other gift helps other people so don't keep it to yourself if you're a parent in the faith your next step could maybe be signing up to lead a small group stepping forward to be a mentor or a coach to some younger believers, maybe this could be a year where you become more intentional and strategic about investing into the people around you, the people that God has placed around you saying, hey, could you spend some time with that person? They need your help. Now those are just a few examples of next steps on the journey. And I don't know what your next step is, but if you wanna talk about it, we could. But what I do know is that it takes a village. So could we be that village? to each other? Could we all actively follow Jesus and allow him to make us fishers of men? That means allow him to change us and transform us knowing that his ways are better than our own. Could we all actively identify what our next step is this year? And don't just identify it, take it. Put action to your faith. Because 2023 is not a year to set up camp and just be comfortable and go through the motions of being a Christian. It is a year to be brutally honest with where we're at and then intentionally start to relay that foundation as a believer and as a part of this community as we all grow together because it takes a village. And I'm really, really glad that each and every single one of you are part of this one. God has placed you here for a reason and maybe this is the year you might figure out what that reason is.